It's all started in the first century with Jesus and his apostles. And within one generation, people from all over the Mediterranean world are giving up everything they own, everything they have. They're risking their lives, they're risking their own families to be a part of this group. This group that is filled with heroes of the faith, with with emperors who have converted to Christ, with missionaries who ran to the ends of the world to tell of this message, with reformers who stake their lives on the truth, with martyrs who love not their own lives to the death. There is no people like the people of God. Thank you for listening to the weekly podcast of Community Bible Church in Savannah, Georgia. We hope you'll enjoy this sermon from our series, Ecclesia, a study on the church. For more information, visit our website, cbcsavannah.com. Right, and it's not just heroes. It is faithful, no-name saints from every country under heaven, generation after generation, who have toiled and suffered and loved and served their God. Heavenly Father, you, as you spoke through the psalmist just now, you promised that you would deliver. You promised that you would give life. You promised that you will satisfy when we seek to dwell in, in you and with you. Um, I pray, uh, Lord, just as we take a few moments to just look at your word, that you will just guard this time, guard our hearts. I know a lot of us came from just chaos and we're going back to chaos. We came from hurt and we're going back to hurt. We just, it's just busyness and life and all that is important. But Lord, just give us a few moments to hear from your word, to be encouraged, to be challenged, that your spirit would speak through your word. And do what he has been doing and moving in hearts. And, and Lord, I, I just pray that it's just not another sermon that we hear, another song that we sing, some notes we take. But that you, Father, through a fallen man who has nothing really to offer, will just exalt Christ. And in this church and in all the churches, Lord, we want to see fruit. We want to see uh, growth. We want to see you move. And so help me this morning to just be clear and uh, true, and that your spirit would use me uh, so that Jesus is worshiped in this place, that he is honored and exalted in this place, that he is loved with our whole heart, soul, mind, and strength, and that we love and turn our neighbor as ourself. That is something you must do, and so we ask and invite you to do it in us right now, Lord Jesus, uh, by your spirit, and to glorify our Father in heaven. Amen. Thanks. You guys can have a seat. Great singing, y'all. And just so you know, that psalm is not warning you about me, the fowler. That's a. I'm thinking, how many of y'all were distracted in that part of the, of the reading? I'm thinking, change the words to bird catcher. All right. Um, let me open just reading a passage from Revelation 7. Uh, this is what John has a vision of as he sees uh, really the future. And, and I just want to. Get this snapshot as I read this, um, because I think it's, it's really important as we end this series on, on uh, the church that we think about this, because this is where we're headed. And in Revelation chapter 7, verses 9 and 10, it says, After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number, from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. I mean, what a picture. Can you imagine the decibels 
I am mean, crying. I mean, y'all are like, it's too loud in here. You just wait. Wait till every voice crying out loudly, salvation belongs to our God. Every nation, every tribe, every tongue. I don't know if they're all in the same language or if they're saying it in their language, but it is, a, it is an awesome picture. It's awesome to think about. And, and when you read on in the, in the rest of this chapter in Revelation, what you find out, even though there's millions and millions and millions of these people, it's just a small amount of what heaven's gonna look like. This is just the people who were killed during the great tribulation period that are doing this. It's not the, all the church of all time. That's just a few. It's just a little piece of where we are headed as a church. I mean, that's, that's it. And so this little American, mostly church, that's just one little dot in the myriads and myriads and myriads of the people that will be around the throne shouting and worshiping. Imagine the joy, imagine the love, imagine this. It's where we're going as a church. And we've been, we've been looking as a church we, we, on a series, it's our last week of four, we called it ecclesia, which is just a Greek word for church. And the point of this whole series was just kind of to regroup. We've got all these people, the building's kind of settled now. And so we wanna make sure that we're all swimming in the same direction. And use whatever cliche you want. We're hitting the big E on the eye chart. We're keeping the main thing, the main thing. Whatever it is that helps you. But what we want to make sure is, are we functioning like a church? Are we, are we doing what God has called us to do? And, and this has been new for some of y'all. And this is kind of just stirring up some of you by way of reminder. But we want to make sure we are all headed in the same direction. Because what we don't want to do is be gathering and singing and taking notes and listening to sermons. And oh, isn't that great? And here's a podcast and meeting in community groups. And we're going nowhere. We're just spinning our wheels. Right? And so what we've been we're talking about is, and we started with this, the church is not a building. All right? it's, this is a great facility that we have built for us together. The church is not a building. It's not something we do. It is not a social club. It is not something for 43-year-old men who used to be good at sports to come and try to relive their glory days and realize that they're 100 pounds overweight and they can't shoot anymore. It's not the church. Right? That, that the church is us. It is the people of God who worship God as one, who are on the same mission of God, who have been redeemed by a living Savior, who are filled with the living Spirit of God. They're now localized. We're on the same mission. We're on the same page. We're, we're doing the same thing. We gather and we encourage and we grow and then we go onto the mission that God has called us to. And here's kind of where, where we've simplified as a church and trying to get a common language together so that you guys know what we're about and how we're doing it. Here's kind of the mission that we have kind of summarized in a simplicity. And it's got three parts, right? And I'm not gonna give it to you because I'll make sure you've been listening. 11 o'clockers. All right, so what's the, there's three parts to our mission statement. CBC exists, what's the first part? Who knows? Anyone got, anyone got it? Raise your hand. There we go, we got it. Okay, what is it? What's the first part? CBC exists, very good. We, we exist to glorify God. That's the doxological aspect that we do. Whatever we do in word deed, it's for the glory of God. It's to make him great. It's to make him known. Awesome. What's the second piece? Who knows? All right, Jack. Equipping people to follow Christ. See, this is our mission and it is our method. This is what we do and this is how we do it. So we, we exist to glorify God. How would we equip people to follow Christ? We'll talk about that more because we're not talking about following Christ, serving in the nursery. We're talking about outside the gates of this building of 69th Street. And, and the last piece is the easiest one, right? This is, this is the method. This is how we do it. If you don't get this one, we're in trouble. What, what is it? Through what? Through community in the Bible, our name. 
And that's kind of how we've simplified that That's what we are doing, okay, as a local church. And so we looked at that. And then, and then we had been at 35,000 feet, kind of looking at the church, real big picture. Last week, we kind of zoomed in a little bit and we checked under the hood and saw that there's a couple wires that need to be connected so this thing runs well. And it's the wires of the leadership and the membership and everyone functioning the way it's supposed to function. Today, and it's this last day, I, I wanna zoom back in on that little phrase, follow Christ, right? I, I, I wanna talk about a little bit what we're talking about when, we're, when we're, we're equipping you to follow Christ. What does it look like as we leave to follow Christ, right? Uh, because ministry is not in here. This is, as we talked about, practice. The game is played out there. What we do out there impacts that, that scene that we saw with many tribe and tongue. What we do as we leave the doors of this church. So we want to like focus there and what that looks like. And we're going to look at a very familiar passage this morning. One that many of you have heard before. Many of you probably memorized. It is one of Jesus' last encounters with his disciples. And it's one that he tells them, this is what I want you to do. This is what I want you to do. This is what I want you to be about. So turn, if you have a Bible, to Matthew chapter 28. If you don't have one, we're going to have it on the screen. And if you don't own one, take the one in front of your home. We want you to have it as a gift. Matthew is the first book in the New Testament. We're going to be in the very last chapter, the very last few verses. Very familiar passage. Kind of work through this and see what it looks like for us. Here's, here's the first part, verse 16. Now the 11 disciples went to Galilee to the mountain which Jesus had directed them. Now we, we kind of burn through that verse real quick because we want to get to the great part, the great commission. But this is a very important verse. All right. Okay, we'll go a little, we're interactive today. A little question and answer. Where was Jesus crucified? What city? Okay, good. So nobody said Bethlehem. That was good. First service, they're like, Bethlehem. Like, wrong holiday, y'all. Okay, you only know two cities. You got Jerusalem and Bethlehem. He was crucified in Jerusalem, right? And so he was crucified on a Friday. He resurrects on a Sunday. He shows himself to 11 of the disciples or 10 of them. The following week, he shows himself again to all of them. This time, Thomas sees him. And now what you see is that Jesus, the the disciples are in Galilee. And if you look at a map, and let me show you a map. Oh, good, I'm not in it. Last year, I was in the middle of it. All right, here we go. All right, Jerusalem is down here, okay? This to Galilee is about a week's journey. Okay, takes about a week to walk and they would walk in this side. They wouldn't just go straight shot because they hated the Samaritans because they were, they were considered half-breeds. So they took the long road around and they would work all the way to Galilee. It takes a week. Now think about it. Jesus is on the earth for 40 days after he resurrects. First two weeks he's here because he shows himself. Then for some odd reason, the disciples say, let's go all the way up to Galilee. Let's take a week journey. They go up there. They have a little fish fry in the, in the Sea of Galilee. Jesus asks Peter, do you love me? He says, I love you. He says it three times. And then when you get to the book of Acts, when Jesus ascends back into heaven, he's back down in Jerusalem again. So they go up, hang out for a couple of days, and they come all the way back. And my question is, why? I mean, why all the walking? I mean, they eat fish for a living. It's not like they're having heart issues. Okay, why all, why up, back, all, all these things? Why do it? And the answer is, because that is where Jesus was. Jesus says, I'm going to be in Galilee. So what do they do? 
They go to Galilee. Jesus says, I'm gonna be back in Jerusalem. What do they do? They go back to Jerusalem. Why? Because these are some men and some women that want to be where Jesus is. And why do they wanna be where Jesus is? Because they love him. Because they love Christ. And they wanna be where Christ is. And so they go to Galilee and then Jesus shows up. And when he shows up, they saw him and they worshiped him. The word proskuneo means to bow down on their faces. They worship, but some doubted. And the word actually means some hesitated. Some kind of were like, you know, Peter goes down on his face and, and, and John goes down, but maybe Bartholomew kind of hesitates a little bit. But eventually they all worship. This, now this, again, we, we blow through this because we want to get to the Great Commission and go into all the world and all this. But here, this is the key to all this. The disciples love Jesus. The disciples want to be where Jesus is. The disciples worship Jesus. If you get nothing else today, get this. There is no great commission without the great commandment. What is the great commandment? Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second is like it, love your neighbor. See, see there is no go and make and do if you don't love Jesus. But the, these guys love the Savior. These guys worship the Savior. The great commission is fueled by the great commandment. If there is no love God, there is no commission. I don't care what you do. I don't care what you say. Love is the fuel. Because you become an apologist for what you love, don't you? Whatever you like, whatever you love, you want everyone else to like it. So on the staff, I've been working for five years now with William Kane to try to get him to like Star Wars. All the rest of the staff... They're mature in their faith. They love Jesus and they love Star Wars. Kane, still wearing skinny jeans. No, just still loving White Man Can't Jump or something. I don't know what he watches. We cannot get him to come to the dark side. And all I want to do is have a conversation with him about Luke Skywalker. All I want to do is, is him to enjoy and him to understand the sermons better. But he won't. He has a hardened heart and he will not listen. All I want to do is, is get him get excited about what I get excited, right? And that's a little silly, but that's, that's the idea. You, you will get people excited about what you are excited. If I love Christ and I worship Christ, I want other people to love Christ and worship Christ. And, and that's the fuel, right, of the Great Commission. If it's not, and, and here's why it's so vital. If it's not the fuel, then it becomes a rule which rhymes and is cool. I just came up that way this morning, right? But think about it. If it's not the fuel, then all it becomes is guilt. You ought to do this. You ought to do that. It's just a good deed that you do. I told people about God. I invited someone to church. Who cares? It's just a religious act for you. You don't love God. You're just doing it because you, you think it's good. It, it becomes something you feel guilty. Oh, I'm guilty. I don't do it enough. That's, that's not, you, you see guilt with the apostles? I don't see guilt. I see love. I see worship. Right? And if you love Christ, you will become compassionate. You'll be passionate about what he's passionate about. And what is Jesus passionate about? People. Sinners. You cannot read the Gospels without seeing Jesus say he feels compassion for the people because they were like sheep without a shepherd. He felt compassion on the rich young ruler because he was deceived into thinking everything in his money would save him. You see Jesus loving sinners. 
And look, if you came here this morning and you don't know how you found your way in, you parked a mile away and you're like, this place is crazy. And you, but you came in and you're thinking, these people don't know how wretched I am. Or maybe you have guilt and you had you know, abortion 20 years ago or you have some addiction that no one knows about or you, everyone's telling you how useless you are and how unloved you are and how much you were despised. I can tell you this, everyone else may say that, but I can tell you on the authority of scripture this morning, you are loved more than you know by the Lord Jesus. And he loves you and he brought you here because Jesus loves sinners and he loves to offer them life and he loves to offer them freedom and he loves to offer them hope. That's, that's what he does. And if you find yourself as a person looking down at people like, well, I can't believe they do that. And, well, and, they, and you're sitting next to someone, they smell like River Street at 3 a.m. And you're like, I can't believe they came to church. You ought to check your heart because Jesus loves that person, right? And you cannot say, y'all, I don't care what you do and how many quiet times and how much how many Bible studies and how many seminary classes you've taken, you cannot say, I love God if you do not love people. You just can't do it. Because the great commandment, love God, and the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. And when we're talking about neighbor, here's the challenge, right? Some of you are thinking, yeah, I love my people at my church. I love my bestie. And we get Instagram every Sunday, like we're at church again. Oh, that great? It's easy to love people who love you. It's easy to love people who are like you. It's easy for me to like Milton, my crackhead dog. Because even though he runs himself into cars and costs me $700, he, he says, he, in his own way, he reciprocates love. And I feed him. He's appreciative. When I let him out, he's appreciative. He comes over and lets me know how much he likes me and he appreciates me. It's easy to love him. I can't say that about the cat. The cat only loves my wife. The cat uses me for cat food and to let her out and doesn't care. Never says anything, never thanks me. It's easy for me to love the dog. It's hard for me to love the cat. But this is in essence what Jesus says. It's easy for you to love people who like you. Even the tax collectors and Gentiles do that. I say love your enemy. I say pray for those who persecute you. That's the people that are different. That's the people that you think will never get saved. That's the people who oppose you. See, that's the church. That's what Jesus does. He loves his enemy. And, and you say, well, I get this. This is where we start because if we don't start with our love and worship of God, nothing else matters. It, it's where it begins. Love God. And as you love God, what is he gonna do? He's gonna give you a love for people, right? And so here's a group of guys. They love Christ. They worship Christ. And so Christ encouraged them. He says, he comes to them and says, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. In essence, he's saying, you are right to worship me. Why? Because everything has been given to me. I'm in charge. In charge of what? Everything. The Father has given me authority to be in charge of everything in heaven and earth, and there's no other place. Right? So you are right to worship me. You are right to love me. You are right to bow down before me, is what he's in essence encouraging them. And because he's in charge, he now gives them a command. Go therefore. Anytime you see the word therefore, what do you ask? What it's there for. It's linked back to what he's just said. All authority is mine because I'm in charge, because I'm alive, because you love me, because you, I am worthy of worship. Now go and make disciples of all nations. And there's the command. There's the great commission, right? But here, here's, here's kind of core bottom line what's going on here. There's actually, even though in the English, a couple different 
commands and imperatives. In the Greek text, there's only one command. It governs the entire passage, right? And that command is to go and make disciples. The command is actually to make followers, all right? A disciple is a follower. That's the command. Now, the go, the baptize, the teach, that's how you do it. But the command is that every single one of you is to be active somehow in disciple-making process. Three ways. Number one, we baptize, all right? Baptizing them. And baptism, very simply, is a symbol of what has taken place inside. It's a picture that you have been dead, buried, and resurrected with Christ. It's, and he tells them to baptize who? Followers. People who are following Jesus are the ones who are supposed to be baptized. This is the model. Read the book of Acts. If you weren't here for our series, in Acts chapter 2, Peter preaches a sermon. 3,000 people believe, and then they are baptized. A couple chapters later, Philip is riding in his, in his little deal, and he sees an Ethiopian eunuch. He shares the gospel. He believes. They get down, and he baptizes them. A few chapters later, Cornelius, a Roman centurion, believes. Peter baptizes him. A few chapters later, there's a woman named Lydia. It says, Lord, open her heart to believe. She believes. Paul baptizes her. You go again, Philippian jailer, they, what must I do to be saved? Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, you'll be saved. And then they baptize. That's the model you see. The first, one of the first steps of obedience when a person becomes a follower is they are baptized. Not because it washes away sin, because it symbolizes who they are. And some of you, this is where you're at. You, you, you've put your faith, but you've never believed. Not since conversion. So, well, I was baptized when I was two. Were you, did you believe then? Because the model is believe and then be baptized. You say, well, do I need to get baptized? Is there ever any case in the Bible where someone is rebaptized? I'm glad you asked the question. Appreciate that. Helps me. Acts chapter 19, the apostle Paul goes into Ephesus. There's a group of men there. They were baptized by John the Baptist in the Jordan. Paul says, hey, did you ever hear about the Holy Spirit? Did you ever hear about Jesus? Did you ever hear about the cross? They say, no. He shares, they believe. Guess what happens? He rebaptizes them. Right, because he puts it on the right side of their conversion. And here's my encouragement. Palm Sunday, we're doing baptisms here. We're going to make a big service out of it. If you have never been baptized, we would love to talk to you and, and answer any questions. And if you have questions, put it in the Connect card. We'll talk to you. Because it's an important step of being a follower. It doesn't wash away sins. doesn't save you. But it is an issue of obedience. And Jesus says, baptize. He says, to teach. He says, teach them to, to obey. Teach them to observe. This is our equipping piece. What do we do on Sundays? We open the scripture. We equip. What do we do in our, our marriage class? What do we do in our community groups? We encourage to grow. Not so that you fill your minds with a bunch of info. We don't want a bunch of smarter people that are just kind of like, oh, I know all about all these things. Teaching them to observe. Teaching them to follow. Teaching them to do what Jesus said to do. That's what we're about. And then the third thing he says is Go. Is that up there? Yeah, go. Little word. Very misunderstood. And this is a huge paradigm shift for these 12 guys. Here's why. In the Old Testament, God never said go. He always said stay. Don't leave the land. Anytime you leave the land, it's bad. Don't go to Egypt. Don't go to Babylon. Don't go to these places. The, the Old Testament, what, these, what the nation of Israel was supposed to do was follow Christ, love of, follow God, love God, go to the temple, and God would bring the nations to them. And they would see how great he was, and then they would believe. Now, he says, no, 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 I don't want you to stay. I want you to go. I, I want you to leave. I want you to be active. I want you to do something. I want you to go to them. And that doesn't mean that everyone goes to India. This is, the, this is a guilt passage, y'all. Right? This is what we do. We guilt. Right? Oh, you got you to move to India. You know how many of the disciples went to India? One of them. 
Maybe, we think. Thomas. How many went to the Amazon? All right. This is not a, you need to pack up your bags and you need to leave tomorrow and sell the car. Right? The whole concept, and we use the language a little bit in the church, and it's helpful, but it's a little bit deceiving, of missionary, missions. You realize how many times the word missionary is in the, in the Bible? Zero. This is never the word missionary. You know how many times missions? Zero. Right? All a missionary is, is someone who lives intentionally as a follower wherever God puts them. And some of you, God may put to India. And some of you, he's going to put on Wilmington Island. And some of you, God bless you, he's going to put in Pooler. <laughs> At least you have Chick-fil-A. See, the problem with our, our view of missions and missionaries is it makes someone varsity and someone JV, doesn't it? Oh, they live in China. Super Christian. Right? I'm just, I just am a school teacher in, in Bluffton. Is there a varsity and JV in the church? I mean, it's the whole problem. We have men of the cloth and not men of the... It, it's a whole dichotomy that we have created that is not biblical. Who's more important? Paul, who goes off to all these places? Or Lydia, who has a great business, who is sending him money so that he can go? Who's more important? Neither. They are both necessary. And that's the idea. Some of us are going to go. And most of us are going to stay and we are going to pray and we're going to give and we're going to send. And that's, that's, that's the way it works. Do you know how, many, how few guys actually in the New Testament went? Paul, Luke, Mark, Barnabas, um, Timothy, Titus, a few other guys. Most of them stayed. Most of them supported. They prayed, they gave, and they sent, Right? And so here's what we do as a church. Just if you want to know what our missions is, we give 10% of our budget to missions every year. So 10% of everything you give goes somewhere else. Some of it's localized, but most of it is far away. And what we do kind of philosophically, it's a little different. We don't have like a bazillion folks that we support. We do less folks for more money so that when they come to town, they can really feel like that we're a church that gives them several thousand dollars a year and supports them that way. Okay, so we, we try to get more bang for our buck and build relationship with these folks. And where we're going in the future is we are putting more of our money into the unreached. Nothing wrong with some ministry in Cleveland, but Cleveland's got a bunch of churches. All right, we want to send our money to places that they've never heard the name of Christ. And so we're looking for organizations and churches that are doing that. And that's where we're putting our money. And, and we are going to send some short-term trips not to go you know, build fields and something. We're gonna be very strategic in equipping people and in empowering them and getting out and not having them dependent on the American church because they don't need us. We just wanna encourage and help. And if you're interested in that, February 7th, to in, the, in the missions gathering after the church, go talk to Gracie or go, go talk to William because they'll tell you what's going on. That, that's kind of our philosophy. But going is not just for people who go to India. Going is for those people who live in Savannah, Georgia, that you are intentionally just being a follower of Christ and yet you're looking up and you're seeing, wait, I got relationships all over my life. There's people all around me. There's a great uh, encounter of Jesus and this, this woman who's been married like seven times at the, at the well in Samaria in John chapter four and he's having this great interaction with her. And then she goes back to town to go bring everyone. She's like, I think I found a Messiah. And in the meantime, his disciples come to him and are like, what are you doing talking to that lady? 
You, you know, and he, and he tells them, he says, lift your eyes. See the harvest. And as he says that, all the Samaritans are walking to him. And, and they don't like the Samaritans. They don't like that they're in Samaria. And what they're, he's trying to get them to see is ministry is right in front of you. You just don't like it. You got this view of, oh, it's out there. Ministry's right here. It's living intentionally. It is sharing your life with people all around you. This is what the Apostle Paul did. When he went to Thessalonica, he says, here's, here's how we did it, Thessalonians. He, he's recapping it. We were gentle, like a nursing mother caring for her children. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but ourselves. Because you become dear to us. He says, like you were just another church that I planted. Church on the belt. Let's move on. He says, I was like, I was like your mama. I was like your dad. I loved you. We shared our lives. We were pouring into you. We were giving ourselves. We had relationships that we just cared about you. Yes, we told you about Christ, but we loved you too. The great commandment fuels the great commission. Every time. And you have relationships everywhere. The nations are now here. I mean, just with scat alone. You don't have to go anywhere. Even in Pooler. You got the nation. You just need to live intentionally where you are, right? There's no, and we're not talking about a curriculum. We're not introducing a missions curriculum. There's no program. The program is you, right? You are the program. Living intentionally where you're at. And there's three areas where God has put you. I mean, just you are right now in three areas that we just want you to lift your eyes today a little bit. Just lift your eyes and see what's around you. These three areas, just be, to be intentional. And, and this is what we talk about when we talk about being engaged with the culture, one of our specs, this is what we're talking about. There's three areas that you right now, without going anywhere, without doing much, can be engaged. The first is in your home. Everyone lives somewhere, right? Even if you live in a van down by the river, you live somewhere, okay? House, apartment, condo, dorm, whatever it is. You have neighbors, and when we talk about loving our neighbor, yes, we're talking about loving everybody. We're talking about actually loving your physical neighbor, right? The guy that, that walks his dog in front of your house, the people that live next door, there is broken and hurting people all over this city. They are, they are broken and hurting. They're struggling, right? And how, how do I know? Because I've met just this week, just in this week of me meeting with our people, I have terminal cancer I've talked to. I've talked to cancer treatment on the other side of it. I've talked to people with emergency surgery. Someone who is, his friend is dying. Someone whose marriage is on the rocks. Someone who's struggling deeply with depression. That, the, and that's just the tip of the iceberg of what I've talked about and prayed for in this body this week. That's just here, our little piece of Savannah. Can you imagine what's going on out there? Those people are hurting and they are desperate and they want to be loved and they don't know that we have the hope that they need. We have the only source of joy and comfort. They're all around you. So use your house, be hospitable, have people over, right? If someone invites you over, go. Don't you dare tell them why I got a church activity. No, you don't. We don't do activities. <laughs> I know. And that's why. I don't want you at this building. I love you, but I don't want to see you during the week. I want, you, I want you to, they invite you over, you better go. Get you some brownies and go. They have a, a community picnic, 
please don't say, well, I, 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 you know, I got to go study for my lesson. No, you don't. I'm preaching next Sunday. You're not. Go to the party. God has put you in that community. Go. Have the kids in the neighborhood play in your yard. In fact, come on, y'all. Play in our yard. Well, they're going to mess up my yard. Who cares? Is your grass more important than them? Well, my house is not super clean. Well, you got Southern Living coming over next week to take pictures. Who cares? Your house is going to be messy. The point is, you live somewhere, use your house. Have people over. You utilize where you're at. Just look up. You don't have to go anywhere. They're right there. You go to the same grocery store every night, some of you. You go to the same coffee shop. You go to the same dry cleaners. Get off the phone. I'm sad to say that I, I, I used to go into the same food line, and the guy would always tell me, man, you must be a busy guy. I said, hey, what do you know? How do you know? Was it because I walk real fast? No, because you're always on the phone. I was like, so I stopped being on the phone when I went. And I had a great conversation the other day with the lady at Publix. It was like 90 seconds. And I, you know, I bought some stuff and I put the 20 down and she's starting to look for something. And I'm like, you're looking for your pen, your marker, aren't you? She said, how do you know? I said, because you, you guys always do that. You think I'm, you look, I look like a hoodlum and you think I, it's a fabricated $20 bill. I know. <laughs> I, I, pro, I said, but I promise I just got it out of the Bank of America. And she laughed and she said, okay. She trusted me. It wasn't Monopoly money. But I had, and then I had just a little, hey, a little conversation with someone. And the next time I go in, I'm going to look for that person. I'm going to go to that person's line and say, hey, did you find your marker? She'll remember it. But it's just those kind of little touch points. Same coffee shop. That you can, that you can be more concerned about people. Ask how their day is. Everyone else is just rushing through. And as they see that over time, it, it's a great, it gives you a great platform. Right? If people are, you're too busy for people, then what, what are you doing? And, and not, please, again, not because they're an agenda. People are not an agenda. Early in my Christianity, I treated people like an agenda. I mean, we, me and my wife lived in this sweet little condo next to this couple. Some of you, I told you this story before. And they hated anything living. Everything, their whole yard was concrete. He was in the Navy for like 30 years. So I guess he just liked gray. So it was all concrete. I mean, he would put hurricane shutters. Buford hadn't been hitting a hurricane in like 58 years, but he had hurricane shutters up from like March to November. I mean, it was dark and concrete and that's what they liked. And I loved feeding the birds. Put my little bird feeder out. I'd feed the squirrels and you know, everything else. And it was great. And again, these are condos right next to each other. The only problem was the birds would poop on his concrete. And so he would always, and they put these big bird scaring things away. They're like beach balls with big eyes on it. And we used to laugh because the cardinals would be sitting on top of it. And I was just like, <laughs> but here's the problem. I used to invite them to church like every time I saw them. I mean, every time I saw them, hey, come to church. I don't care if my birds are pooping on your concrete, but come to church. You know, they ne we were there four, four and a half years. They never came to church. Never once. I, and I wouldn't if I was them. I mean, I don't even care about, I, yeah, it's silly. Do I have a right to feed the birds? I had a right. Am I, do I enjoy that? Yes. Is that a way I enjoy creation? Yeah. But you know what? Why should I have a platform to tell them about my God if I don't even love my neighbor? Don't treat people like that. That's to my shame. That's to my shame. They're not your agenda. They're God's creation who he loves. And he's put you in the middle of that. 
so that they would see him. You got a home. You got ki- if you have kids, and this is your first line of defense, and, and this is your first line of offense, excuse me, that your kids, the goal, parents, is not to make your kids the most popular, the most successful, the most rich, the most moral people. Because that's really more about you than it is about them. The goal is to, as God created them, to point them to be worshipers and followers. That's the goal. And we have a generation, quite honestly, and, and, and if you're a teenager, I'm talking to you, that thinks it's all about you. It's not. I know that you got a thousand followers. Yeah, that's great. And you tweeted six times since I started the sermon. That's great too. It's not about you. We got to teach our kids that. Right? We got to start modeling worship. We got to start modeling. And it, we got we to model serving. Teach them to serve. You know what? You got little kids. Have them, have them make brownies with you and take them over. Put them in the part of that. Teach them to work. Teach them to serve each other. And, and here's where that's hard. You can't just tell them to do it. And, and this is what I don't like. Because I pay the bills. I don't do dishes. That's my mentality. Right? But I got to do dishes if I expect them to do dishes. I got to be willing to get off the couch sometimes. Not every time. Not doing everything for them. But if I'm going to tell them serving is important, then I got I to be willing to serve. Because when Jesus teaches his disciples to serve, he doesn't say, okay, Peter, I got a four-part four lesson for you on serving. One, two, three, four. He says, I'm going to give you a lesson you'll never forget. He strips down and he washes their feet. Yeah, he teaches them how to pray, but then he says, I'm going to go away for 24 hours and I'm going to pray on the mountain. He models it. So it's our job, parents, to, to point our children towards being a worshiper and a follower and a blessing to the world. That, that, that's starting in the home, right? That's where it starts. And so what does this look like for you? I don't, I don't know, but it starts there. This is a place God has put you. Lift your eyes, lift them up. Second place is your work. Everyone has some place that they, they're active between nine and five or or whatever hours you may have. And I'm not talking about using your work as a cheesy place for cheesy evangelism and doing your quiet time and having Charles Spurgeon quotes on your computer screen so that everyone walks by and is like, what does that mean? I don't know, but Spurgeon said it, it must be good. That's not what I'm talking about. God has put you in a place of work that you would be a blessing to the city of Savannah and beyond. Your work is a place that you bless the world. Your work is a place where you love your neighbor. When God created the earth, he makes it perfect. Perfect. Everything's perfect. But yet he puts Adam in a garden and he says, work it now. He doesn't put him on a lawn chair with a mint julep and say, enjoy. He puts him in the garden to work, not to be a manager, not to be a park ranger, to be a gardener. And so what Adam does is he creates from what God has created something that is good and beneficial and blesses the world. You were put in a place to be a blessing to make things better. It is a way in which you, you model the Imago Dei, the image of God. And, and what we have to remember, and this is where the Reformation was so vital, that Luther and these boys, they came out and said, you know what, there is no secular and sacred. It's all sacred. Whatever you do, do in word and deed for the glory of God. Whatever you do. And, and him, he was focusing on and meditating on Psalm 147 at one point. Where it says, praise the Lord, Jerusalem, praise your God, O Zion. He strengthens the bars of your gates. He blesses your children. He makes peace in your borders. He fills you with the finest of wheat. And he's asking the question, how does God do that? And his conclusion was, he does it through Christians. That God blesses 
through Christians. So, so how does uh, God strengthen the bars and gates of Savannah? By having some of you guys work in government and some of you guys as architects and some of you guys as builders and some of you guys as lawyers functioning and, and, and making this thing work. Right? How does he bless the children? Some of you guys are rock star kindergarten teachers and mentors and coaches and college professors. How does, he, how does he make peace in your borders? Because he calls some of you guys to serve in the army and he calls some of you guys to serve as policemen and some of you to be a district attorneys and lawyers and all these things to protect. How, how does he fill us with the finest of wheat? If you're gluten-free, I got no clue. But by having people work in restaurants and in grocery stores and in fast food and in and, and, and chefs, God blesses the nation through Christians working in these places. It is a way you love your neighbor. So I'm just a math teacher. I mean, you have the privilege of teaching children that God is a God of order. And so two plus two equals four, not just because it equals four, but because God ordained it to equal four, because there is order and structure in the universe. And though calculus is a result of the fall, it may be moderately important. <laughs> you have the privilege of, of, I just work on cars or I, I just redecorate houses. You mean you have the privilege of helping people get from point A to point B and so they don't get stuck on the side of Truman and you, you make things beautiful and nice so that people come home and enjoy it? You are functioning as a blessing to the city of Savannah when you do this for God's glory. Right? I read a great article this week about a guy who is a Christian and he teaches and plays jazz. And in his jazz, he tries to point people to trust in God because he says jazz is a little chaotic and all over the place, but yet there's this underlying stability at the base of it. And he says he tries to point people to God through that. I'm like, that is what, exactly what I'm talking about. That's a person who gets God's calling. Jazz is his worship. And you, we are one of the, the, you know, we're not a huge church, but one of the larger churches in the Savannah area. Think about the blessing between two services, 13, 1,400 people. I mean, think about how we are spread out. I mean, just, I want you to see this, okay? So I'm gonna, I'm gonna call on you and raise your hand high. If you were in the military or were, raise your hand real high. Look at that, all right? Okay, if you are a school teacher, or a college professor, raise your hand. All right, if you are, uh, if you work at Gulfstream, raise your hand. If you are in the medical field of some kind, raise your hand. Man, if I, if I fall over, y'all are on it. <laughs> if you are a stay-at-home mom or stay home with the children, raise your hand. If you build things with your hands of some type, raise your hand. I, I, my point is this, and I, and I didn't get you all, and that doesn't mean you're not important. All right? My point is, think about how spread out we are. We got schools. We got, if you're a high school student, college student, raise your hand. Look at that. Okay, we are spread out in Savannah to be a blessing, and we are a blessing. Why? Who dwells in us? God, the Holy Spirit. That's why at the end he says, I am with you always to the end of the age. They wanted to be with him in Galilee. They wanted to be with him in Jerusalem. So he closes saying, hey, by the way, I'm going away, but I'm not going away. The Holy Spirit in you is spread out all over Savannah. Can we be a blessing, CBC, to the city of Savannah? I'm telling you, just lift your eyes.
Just lift your eyes. When you show up at work tomorrow, just lift your eyes. Don't, don't show up 10 minutes late. Don't show up grumpy. Don't be the guy that only works well when the boss is there. Don't be the guy that gets involved with that conversation. Oh, look, at she looks pretty today, blah, blah, blah. Don't be in that gossip. Don't be in that trash. Don't be the guy who, uh, you know, is cutting out early or causing dissension or bucking the system. Don't be the guy that never apologizes when he messes up and always shifts the blame. Well, it was so-and-so. They never got the email from this. Be the employer who treats his employees awesome, who treats people with respect, right? Who, who, whether the boss is there or not, you are faithful and you can be trusted and you're gonna do the best job. And when you don't, you'll go back and fix it. See, that's the kind of people that are delight. I wanna hire that guy. That's the guy that, that people wanna hire. That's what we're talking about. You're blessing the city. Right, so you got your home, you got your work, and last one, you got your play. Wherever you do your hobbies, maybe you play golf, maybe you get on a boat, maybe you get a, a, a go out and shoot some birds, maybe you, you know, whatever it is. You, you got a guy in your neighborhood, he plays golf. Why don't you go grab a game of golf? Hey, come on, let's go. Because when you guys are wandering all over, because you ain't no good, because if you were good, you'd be making money doing it, and you're going back and forth from tree to tree. You're going to have great conversations and you're going to talk about marriage and you're going to talk about this. And at some point you might have the opportunity when he's sharing something about his life or about his kids, you can say, Dude, can I just real quick, just pray for you real quick right here? I'd, be, I'd love to do that. You're going to have those opportunities. You, you, you like to eat and you're like, oh, I like trying new restaurants. Go out with some people. And maybe at the beginning of the thing, you say, hey, I'm going to pray real quick and bless this food. And, and you just say, just a quick prayer. Don't catch up on your these and thous and don't start quoting Spurgeon and, and people are like, what is they doing over there? Thou is God, blesses the food, who thine service and whatever thine service is. Just say, God, you are great. Thanks for good friends and good time. Speak to God as if he's real and, and in a way that people are like, whoa, he actually believes he's praying to somebody. Sounds like he's talked to this person before. Use your kids, your kids' sports. Don't waste your sports, right? Don't waste them. Great opportunity to hang with people. And here's where I may or may not have a struggle in this area. Just saying. That's why it's good that I don't have to go to a lot of these things because then I can stay your pastor, all right? But I like to win. I like to win t-ball games, y'all. I like to win everything. I don't like to lose and I don't like when my kids lose. I'm just confessing. And so it is very hard for me to watch sometimes. But I got to remember, and some of you got to remember, that this is not the Super Bowl. Right? It is more important than the Super Bowl in the sense of there's people. And maybe one of the greatest ways that you can just be a light is when your kid is sitting the bench. Now, this is really hard. When your kid is sitting the bench and that person is taking your kid's spot, that you actually go to that kid and congratulate, hey, that was a great game. When you go to their parent and say, hey, your daughter played this, your son did awesome. When you're cheering for their success, when it means your kid, whoo, is that hard? Man, is it hard. And man, does it make a difference and stand out in a world that everyone's about them. This is just one little example. Have the team over your house. Feed them Little Caesars $5 pizzas until they throw them up. <laughs> Let them mess up your house and love on them. I, just, just lift your eyes. That's all we want. We just want you to lift 
your eyes and see what God is doing. No agenda. No, I've got to get through the five spiritual laws before they get out the door. Just loving them. And, and here's the thing. If you are just going to look up and see people as God sees them, God will open doors. You don't have to knock over the door. You don't have to knock through the door. You don't have to do anything. And so here's where we close real quick. You're thinking, what's my takeaway? Number one is, is pray. You never talk to man about God until you have talked to God about man. Right? So, so don't think, oh, I'm going to go to my neighbor. I'm going to do I'm going to invite them all over. I'm going to do that. No, you're not. You have no power and no ability to do anything. You cannot make a dead person walk. Only God can do that. Now, does he choose to use the church to do that? Yes, he does. Ephesians 3, 10 and 11, that he uses the church to make the manifold wisdom of God known to the world. Yes, he does that. But he don't need you. And if you think you're going to go out, oh, I've took an apologetics class and I've done this. No, you're not. You're going to do anything. All you're going to do is hurt more people than you help because it's all about you. Where does it start? Loving God, worshiping God. So start with prayer. If you start, just say, Lord, I am here. I am in Pooler and I am at Gulfstream and I'm a school teacher. Just, I want to be your hands. I want to be your mouthpiece. I want to be your feet. Whatever you have for me, I want to do it. I want to serve you. If that is your heart and that is your prayer, do you think God is going to answer that? Do you think he's going to take you to where he wants you? To the right aisle at, at Starbucks, to the right whatever? He is going to put you in those places because it's about him. He's not going to be, oh, I don't want you serving anybody this week. No, sir. No loving for you this week. Of course, he delights. And when you get to be the hands of God, maybe you're just hugging someone at work who, who just lost their mom. And when you get to be the hands of God and comfort someone, man, you will want to do that more because it'll bring you joy because when you're delighting in God, he is going to give you the desires of his heart and you're going to have more of a love for him and more of a love for people. But it starts just you and him Right? So spend some time in praying. Just, God, use me. Don't try to go bust down doors. Second thing is then just be faithful. Go home and write, what does it mean for you where God has you? Just write three things. What does it mean for me to be faithful? It might mean that tomorrow you're going to wake up and you're going to make peanut butter and jelly for the thousandth time for these kids and you're not going to complain about it. That might be what being faithful right now for you is. Or I'm going I'm to do this laundry even though the kids did this again. Maybe it's you're going to show up at work and you're going to own the fact that you did something to that person last Thursday and you still haven't apologized. And you're going to go tomorrow. This is what being faithful for me is. All right, I, I don't know, but just write, you think about it. What is being faithful where God has me right now? Not you in an Amazon, you in Savannah. What does it look like? Maybe I need to treat my employees a little bit better. Maybe I need to stop the gossip behind my boss's back. Stop the complaining about X. What does it look like for you just to be faithful? Because you don't have to go anywhere right now. The people that end up going, by the way, to India and at least places, they are faithful where they are first. Always. Always. Right? And then finally, just, just be courageous. The reason we're courageous is because God is with us. It's just like the little kid who, who feels courage when he's with his daddy and he's holding his daddy's hand and he's nervous. That God says, I will, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. And if, if, if Jesus is who he says he is, y'all, and, and he really offers life and his yoke is really easy and his burden is really light and, and, and at his right hand is joy forevermore, and if it's truly good news, then you don't have to be afraid. You just need to be courageous. And if you're, I'm a little nervous, I don't know what this looks like. The apostle Paul was nervous. He went to Corinth and he said, I was nervous. Y'all are scary people. I get nervous every Sunday. I get nervous second service after I've already preached. 
but I know that as I walk up those stairs, and I often just like, not like mock Spurgeon earlier, but now I'm, I'm modeling. He used to go up into his pulpit and say, I believe in the Holy Spirit. I believe in the Holy Spirit. I believe in the Holy Spirit. That's what I say as I walk up those stairs. Because it's got to be the Holy Spirit. We just want to be a church that has our eyes up. Just eyes up. That's all. And, and, and look around and see what God has for you. Because he's got people that need, your, need you to love them. And eventually, if God opens the door, you open your mouth. All right? You, you eventually, God will bring that to you. you. No one looks at you across the street and says, wow, I believe that God was, was born of a virgin, lived a perfect life, died on a cross, rose again, because I saw him mowing his lawn well. Eventually, God will open the door if it's, if it's his will. And so you just look for those. Be courageous. But be, just love them. Love God, then love people. And we're gonna, we're gonna worship, because it starts, where does it start? The fuel of the Great Commission is the Great Commandment. And as we worship, just ask God to rejuvenate your love for him. If nothing else this week, rejuvenate your love for him. Because as you delight in him, everything else will just flow from that, the great commandment. To love him with your whole heart, soul, and mind, and strength, and you'll love your neighbor. If we do that as as a church, y'all, the city of Savannah will know the love of Christ. It will. Eleven guys changed a city. What about us? So let's pray and let's worship uh, and let's trust God to just move in our hearts and, and stir up an affection for him. So you guys can stand and I'll pray. Father in heaven, you have used the church for 2,000 years to proclaim the excellencies of you who call us out of darkness into your marvelous light. And, and Lord, it is not about us. It is about you. It is not about religion. It is not about rules. It is about Christ, our Savior, loving us, pursuing us, rescuing us. And so I just pray that we would just lift our eyes, see the people right in front of us, people we carpool with, people we rub shoulders with, people that we buy stuff from, whatever it is, Lord, that you would just give us the love for them that you have. That's what we ask, that's all. By your spirit do it, for the fruit of the spirit is love. Uh, It is joy, it is peace. And so give us those things as we seek to worship you. Uh, It's in Christ's name I pray.